Welcome to the Magnus and Marcus podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, the head cross-country coach at the University of Houston and the author of the book, The Science of Running. I'm joined by John Marcus, my coaching philosopher buddy and the coach of uh, High Performance West. How are you doing, John? I'm good. I'm here to give the people what they want. It's been a minute. We appreciate your patience. So we come back with a hard-hitting one. Hopefully that's going to be thought-provoking and immediately usable by coaches and athletes alike. Hopefully. Once again, I'll take that blame for wandering around the country with my college team and uh, being <laughs> being stuck in hotel rooms everywhere. So, when in uh, doubt, blame Steve. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that, that I think that's everybody's rule in life. I think just, so too. <laughs> just blame me. Just blame me for everything. Yeah. I, I'm good. I can take it. You know why I can take it? Because I've been practicing on having grit. <laughs> so... How do you like that for a transition, by the way? That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> so on today's uh, episode, we're going to talk about grit. And uh, what's grit, you might ask? Well, you know, I, I just read or I just finished reading up uh, Angela Duckworth's book called Grit. And for those of you who uh, don't know who that is, I'd highly recommend checking out her, her TED Talk and uh, some of the other pieces she's written. And um, what what grit is, is it's basically perseverance, passion, just putting your head down and grinding through. It's that characteristic that we all all think about when we think about someone who just kind of pushes through adversity, bounces back from failure and uh, and um, comes back and achieves their their goals. And, you know, I've I uh, read read her book, was fortunate enough to exchange a couple of emails with her, which will kind of get into hopefully but i think you know it it's one of those topics that's directly transferable to to athletics if you look at if you look at our sport like our sport is all about learning how to be comfortable in an uncomfortable state and it's like you in your head against yourself while you're out there racing and you have to have this what Duckworth called this quality of grit where you're just going to get work in, you're going to be passionate about it, and you're going to be extremely persistent about it. So, um, so yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. John, you want to? I think, yeah, another, um, you know, component, at least for me, for grit is having that passion and perseverance, but wedded to high standards and wedded to realistic, achievable high standards of personal excellence you know, which graduates itself into competitive excellence. And, you know, to kind of, as we do, take tangents here and get on my high horse and, um, you know, talk a little bit about my displeasure with the recent incarnation of all these fast times and this hype around people running a fast mark, you know, or high school kids running fast. It's like, so what? Like if they run fast and they get like 10th place, but they run a fast time, like that's cool. That's fun. But if they show that grit to put themselves in a competitive situation, to put themselves up there to achieve a, you know, a time while trying to get the win or trying to really, you know, achieve a high standard of personal excellence, I think that's a little bit more potent than just saying, well, I ran this fast mark once. And, you know, it's the difference between like, do you try to give someone like that warm embrace of like, oh, hey, that's great. You you PR'd and you did great at this race. Or was the standard of excellence to qualify for a national meet, qualify for Olympic trials, qualify for an Olympic team? And I think it's, 
you know, the importance of grit is also having the capacity to face failure in the face and be okay with failure and let it spur you on to, you know, better and more prudent actions moving forward rather than to shy away from the failure and be like, oh, well, this was a great season because I ran this one fast time once, but I didn't achieve the competitive goal that I had, which is always to me, why we do sport, why we do athletics. We don't go to a basketball game to say, oh, well, the team scored 150 points today. Like, no, we go to the basketball game to see who will win the game, whether the scores, you know, the wing scores 60 points or 160 points. It doesn't matter. So, you know, kind of circumventing to an article that Steve published on his blog that a lot of people res- that lo- resonated with a lot of people was this over emphasis on these fast times. Really, you know, and losing the competitive spirit that makes athletics and tracking feel great in my mind. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a that's a good point. There is that when we look at failure, for example, I like to look at failure as an opportunity for growth. Because what what failure does is if you fail to hit your goals, it forces you to evaluate and reassess where you're at. Because when things are going really well. No one, almost no one assesses where they're at. They never look back and say like, oh, like I'm doing great. Like, let's look at how we got here and let's change things up. Instead, it's kind of let's keep going with the flow. And what happens is when you hit that point where it's a bad race or you fail to, you know, qualify for the next round, like that's a point where you need to step back, evaluate where you're at and evaluate how you get better instead of like kind of wallowing in and your sorrows and saying, forget it, let's move on to the next. And like, from what I've understood of Duckworth's research on grid, it's like those people who face failure and then say, all right, that sucked, but how do I bounce back and get better from that? Those are the people with a lot of grit. And the people who kind of settle back and say, all right, like, I failed, Um, that sucked, like, I'm just going to put this over in a box and, and ignore it or blame it on the weather or blame it on the conditions or blame it on something externally, which I can't I can't control. Then uh, those people are the ones who uh, who don't go on to have as much success. And I think those are the people too who end up, you know, just not owning it 100 percent. I mean, case in point today, one of the professional athletes who I you know, work with Tara Welling, she raced like the Boulder Boulder 10K, was second American, you know, and got, you know, got beat, straight up got beat by another American. And she hasn't lost an American, you know, a couple tries here on the roads this spring. But her response was, I let her beat me. Not she beat me, is I let her beat me. And I think you see that kind of mentality into this, you know, grit of saying, I was in control of making a decision to either gut it out and grind and get in an uncomfortable space and compete. But I ended up, she ended up for whatever reason, taking the easy way out. Like, oh, it's just too early. She was afraid of this. She was afraid of that. And she was the one who released that control, who released that capacity to achieve. And too often, you know, especially in track and field, we do that a lot saying, oh, well, it's, you know, our coaches do that a lot. Well, it's not the best weather. It's kind of windy today or, oh, well, we have a pacer that's going to hold your hand through the first, you know, half the race. And then, you know, make sure the pacer is perfect on their pace because if they go too fast or too slow, it's going to ruin this person's effort. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I've watched amazing races happen off of most sporadic pacing jobs 
or with no pace or whatsoever, you know, occur. But yet, frequently what I hear from a lot of my coaching colleagues and friends and other athletes or agents is this necessity for this obsession around perfect conditions. And unfortunately, what we're doing is we're holding people's hands and, you know, not letting them fail right in the face of it, just saying, man, I failed, I screwed up, I go back to the drawing board, I wonder why, let's see how long I need to work on this, you know, skill set, or if I did something wrong, or move forward in, you know, just get back on the horse. Like, we, you know, I had a similar situation with another professional I coached in the 800, Michaela Fricker, you know, she ran her opener 800 of the outdoor season at Occidental College at the high performance meet there a couple weeks ago. Really just fell asleep in the third 200, just completely fell asleep, was in it, in the pack, and then let, you know, a two or three second gap happen just because she was not engaged and was not like cognizant of like, hey, I got to move. Now the pacers drop, it's time to rock and roll. You know, she comes back the week later at pre-classic and runs a significantly better race. Only fell asleep from about 180 meters to go to 120 meters to go. So 60 meters, just kind of like, all right, zone checked out or didn't make the move she needed to make. But we use that race at Occidental as a learning moment and a teachable moment to say, hey, here are some key areas that need to not ever happen again. Look at what the people in front of you who, you know, one end up winning the race, look how they approached it. Look how you approached it. What was your thought process here? What didn't you do? What did you do? You know, let's review the tape. Yeah. And, and you need to sit down and review the tape. You need to see yourself, if you're lucky enough to be in a race that's streamed live or has video on it, see what happens so you can go back to the drawing board. Because if you just look at this mark on a piece of paper, the mark tells you nothing. It only tells you how you stacked up on that day. It doesn't tell you how you got to the point where you stacked up on that day. Well, I, I think that's the point is that those decision those points that we make those big decisions, those crucial decisions are the points that you matter, that matter in the long term. And the time doesn't tell you anything about that. And I think getting back to like your pacing or your rabbited races versus your racing races, like your rabbited races, like the decision isn't as big. Like you essentially get to turn your brain off, say like, all I need to do is stay on this person's back that's in front of me for as long as I can. Right. And like the last quarter of the race, I just turn my brain back on and then I race like the decision is not there. And like, actually, there's been some good psychological research on it and they call it having a proactive decision versus a reactive decision. And like when you're actually racing, you have to be very you have to use both. Right. You have to be very proactive and and anticipating what other people are doing and then you have to be reactive on 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 seeing a move and reacting to it and then pacing you just you don't have to do that you just shut your brain off until it's like rabbit is strapped off and i think we're doing we're causing a big failure when we uh when we emphasize overemphasize these kind of rabbited races where it's just drawn out and you run a fast time and i think what it does is it it kind of uh, hides some of the uh, the weaknesses of our athletes because instead of saying like, oh man, like this is your weak point, we say, oh you, you know, you're a college girl who ran four ten in the fifteen hundred or four twelve in the fifteen hundred, like you're awesome. But then they get into a tactical race and it's completely different, and you have to reevaluate and you're like, what the heck? You were in four twelve shape. You should have done better. But it's because it's it's a different race. It's a different it's almost a different mindset that you have to approach it with. 
Yeah, and you hear a lot of people talk about a championship race or, you know, we stick to the 1500 here where tactics are you you fart around you know for three laps and then you sprint the last 300 and you know that's a much different scenario than a rabbited race where people are holding hands and you see it all the time you know at say the olympic trials or even uh, u.s championships guys who've been running or girls who've been running great time trial 1500s once every two weeks you know looking awesome the times are coming down and then all of a sudden they don't find themselves making it out of the round or they don't find themselves even nearly in the conversation for the, you know, making a, a team. Like I frequently remind people last year in 2015, we had three women under, we ran 403 or faster than the 1500 for USA at Prefontaine Classic for four men who ran 404 or faster, you know, so a good number of women, you know, who ran 403 or 404 at the Prefontaine Classic last year. Out of that group of four women, who ran the 4 low, zero of them made the world championship team in the women's 15 last year. Zero. <laughs> it was, I mean, who made it? It was Carrie Gallagher, Lauren Johnson, you know, Shannon Roberry. I mean, Jane Simpson had the bye, but it was like two people who weren't in the conversation, quote unquote, in everyone's minds because they didn't have the outlier fast time, you know, at pre-classic from a month before, ended up being the ones who sniped it and got done and got, and got a ticket to Beijing to go compete at the world championships. And, and that's also the other thing too. It's like, we put so much emphasis here, you know, in the U S with making these teams because it's a, it's a difficult crucible to come out of and be, you know, be on the team that we then forget you made the team so you can then make the final so that you can compete to try to win a medal. Like, Oh, it's like, again, because we've held everyone's hand for so long with all these time trial races to set them up to get these standards, then nobody remembers like, hey, man, where are we developing our capacity to race, not just at a national class, but a world class level, you know, in and out. And that, and it's tough because a lot of people say, well, what's one of the things wrong with track and field? And I think it's exactly that, the lack of true competition you know, week in and week out. I mean, you only see it every so often. And when you do see it, it's awesome. Like I was talking to Steve, you know, offline here about how they condensed the regional meet on the West to two days and everything was finals only. I mean, those people were cooking. <laughs> like It was like top one goes to nationals and next fastest time. And man, you better win your heat or else you don't have the luxury of just kickwalking yourself into nationals. I mean, we need more of that. That's important because that builds character builds great like i'm a fan of doing hard things doing difficult things doing challenging things setting yourself up to be challenged and be like oh i'm challenged this is awesome not oh it's not going easy it's not going my way it's not going as i planned it's not going as coach planned and when you hear athletes talk about well we gotta stick with the plan no matter what we stick with the plan we stick with the plan that is not gritty it's you know it's not robust it's fragile yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And I think, you know, when you were talking about this stuff, like one of the passages in Duckworth's research, actually, that she mentions with experimenting on, on parenting her own kids, essentially, is one of the things she's done is she's assigned her kids to do one hard thing a day. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's got to be one thing where you struggle it could be in your schoolwork, it could be music, it could be athletics, but one thing where you're struggling per day. And I think that's a brilliant, like simple, like easy, usable thing to do is like 
struggle is good. Like it's okay to feel like you don't know what you're going to do and you're going to fail or you could mess up. And I think emphasizing that point in a society where we're kind of, uh, we're kind of taught to avoid all struggle whatsoever. I think that's a, a brilliant point. I mean, if you look at us, if you just look culturally, uh, at our society versus let's say East African society, like there's, there's cultural differences on accepted, accepted almost complacency or accepted almost not laziness, but accepted norms of what you do when you're not quote unquote working. Um, and in, in the East African society, a lot of times it's, you know, you got to struggle to go get food or water or whatever it is. And here it's, you know, you swing by McDonald's and get things done. So I think the more, <laughs> I, 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 but it's so true, right? It's like, yeah, you, it you is, know, man. now, now we're like, Oh, I got to actually go to the store. I can't get it on Amazon and have it delivered the next day. Like, what is this? Life is a struggle, but you know, that's our, our first world problem struggles. And I think engineering like your lifestyle that not only in track, but around it that you're seeking out challenges that you might fail at is the, is the way to create grit. And you have to translate that over to, over to, you know, racing. It's like put yourself in situations where you're challenge don't accept being in you know the the slow heat or be scared away from being in the fast heat or racing someone who's better or you know whatever it is or sticking yourself in workout groups you're not accustomed to like you gotta you gotta occasionally like throw your neck out there and see if it's there and sometimes you're gonna die to you know a 80 second last lap and sometimes it's gonna be there but you only know if you like stick yourself in that spot exactly i think you know, piggybacking on that, there's too much of, there's too much to feel good going on right now, like in track and field, you know, coaching and, you know, workouts and athlete preparation. And, you know, I, you know, I, I'll raise my hand, like I'm part of that too. Like you want to build confidence in your athlete. You want them to feel like, okay, I'm getting better. We're seeing improvement, whether that's some type of, you know, workout matrix you have where it's, um, you know, this or that. And uh, I did this workout faster a month, you know, down, you know, a month apart when adaptation happened or I'm running, doing more volume or more intensity, however you want to, you know, look at it. But, you know, the reality is, is like you, you got to put people in a situation where they got to test themselves and can't just be on race day because then they won't be battle ready. It, it's, there, it, you know, so, it, sorry, I'm going to jump in. Real yeah, quick. jump in. Uh, it's just exciting because that's like insecurity. Like I see that all the time and I see that in myself when I was running and I see that in myself when I'm coaching too, even as like that it's there's the more the longer I've been in this coaching business, the more it is this this need to prove themselves in practice. And they take this like I have to run A, B or C in practice to prove to myself that I'm actually fit enough to do this race. And that's all this insecurity there. And like I've, I was talking to a post-collegiate athlete the other day and she's like, well, how can we do a time trial? And I'm like, no, nah, you're good. Like we need to, we need to build fitness. We don't need to test where you're at. And she's like, well, how am I going to know where I'm at and how I'm improving? I'm like, we'll know, like, we'll know by how the workouts feel, how you look and all that stuff. We don't need like this objective, like, 
I did four by mile at 450 and now I'm doing it at 445 or whatever it is your key benchmark is. Like occasionally we need to go in there and we need to fail and we need to fail hard because we need to see where exactly your limits are. And I think like sometimes there's that it, it creates this, um, this like negative atmosphere where people will blow up in a workout and they'll walk away feeling like, Oh my God, I failed. I'm out of shape when they blew up in one, (laughs) one single rep, you know, it's like, Oh, I couldn't nail the last rep. Like God, uh, how am I going to race? And I have to sit there and explain to them. It's like, no, that was the point. Like I didn't expect you to like knock this one out of the park. Like I wanted to put you in a world of hurt so that you could, you know, ingrain good behaviors and try and hold on when you're in a world of hurt so like, and that's what a lot of the like you know african cultures do as well you know you talk to them and you know coach you know a handful of ethiopians and a couple kenyans here and there and they blow up in a workout or a race but oh it's okay it's okay i'll get next time i'll get next time it's okay like they really believe they'll get and they do like hey. it's okay because they don't make their whole world revolve around that one you know, effort where they laid the egg. No, it's so true. Like, I think, I think it was two or three years ago, Sarah Hall was in Ethiopia or Kenya. I can't remember it. And she was like amazed because she was like, I would talk to all these athletes and they were athletes who I, I, who would go off to these races in the U S get absolutely demolished and then talk to her and be like, next race, I will set the world record. And she was like, the confidence like after blowing up was astonishing. And I think it it was a huge lesson like for her growth and development and seeing like just the utter belief and resiliency and bouncing back. And I think that's like the ultimate marker of grit. It's like, man, it they just have confidence and they just know like, all right, that sucked. Like I failed. I blew up. But this next one, I will bounce back. I will learn from my failures. I will be fitter and I will you know, destroy it. Well, you also got to think too, it could be like just, uh, you know, process of thought, like in, uh, you know, developed first world, first world country, like, you know, America, for example, we think in a very linear progression. Okay. You age in a chronological order at certain, you know, gave your life. Those are certain thresholds that, that, XYZ is supposed to happen. High school to college, college to either grad school or get a job, and then you get married, and then you get the house, and you get the kids, and you get the two cars, and the dit, 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 and that's, and then you get retired, and there's a certain linear progression your life is supposed to take, versus like say in you know more of a center thermal country like Africa, it's sporadic. You wake up one day you don't have a home anymore because you know it was burnt to the ground or indigenous tribes are you know uh fighting and the whole family was just murdered and when you came home from school and you're lucky because you're at school and you didn't get shot like i mean they don't so i think also too you, this is a cultural frame of reference where they might be able to better digest bad days happen really bad days happen but it doesn't imply that more bad days coming and this was actually the coaching job we had to do with Tara Welling um, before she, you know, uh, the U.S. half marathon championships. Like, I'm not afraid to say it. Her workout sucked between Stanford 10K and that half marathon race. Like, absolutely atrocious. She couldn't get it together. She wasn't excited. It wasn't like she was overtrained or, you know, she just didn't. She just wasn't enjoying working out. She just, she's a racer. She likes racing. 
And I was like, well, T, you know, let's keep, you know, keep the bullets in the chamber. Let's wait till, you know, uh, June and July for the Olympic trials and such. So we don't want to race it too much. And man, there was like a 10 day period. She just ran mileage just because she didn't want to work out. Like she just did not feel excited to work out. Now, was I freaking out being like, oh my gosh, she's not going to be able to compete at the half marathon champ. So I don't know what she's going to run. Oh, this and that. Well, her body of work was very robust and very good. And she's kind of going through a funk. And human beings, you can go through funks. It's okay. <laughs> you know, those things happen in life. And I think we tend to have this season plan that we have to stick to the plan. And, you know, VO2 max pace, you know, gets faster. You know, your speed endurance gets better. All these things have to happen to this very, very rigid plan or pattern of thinking that was set in someone's office <laughs> in November and we can't deviate from that because when they thought of this plan, it was, it was perfect. And that unfortunately is what I like to call keyboard coaching versus, you know, skin the game coaching where it's like, that's why I need to be at our practice or need to see how people are moving or how they're feeling. Cause I showed up to a practice so many times like, Hey, how are you doing today? And I'm like, Oh, I'm fine. And then I'll do activation or some warm ups, and I'll just, and he was like, awful. I'm like, you sure you're doing all right? And I'm like, well, you know, him and I like, all right, I know we're going today or, you know what, here, I'm going to just throw you the biggest underhand fluff ball I can give you because we don't need to stress the system. We just need to maintain the system and get out of here. And, you know, and I think you have to have the security to be able to make those alterations in real time. Otherwise you just, following a recipe and not really cooking anything yeah and i i think the other part of that is the athlete has to be uh confident enough and aware enough to like accept that right because i think it's one thing i think athletes get so regimented in this linear approach too where it's like no i have to do this hard workout at this time to get better so that i can do this next hard workout at this time to get better for the next workout and it's this ongoing cycle and i think as athletes sometimes you have to have the confidence to step back and be like no like it's just not it's not just not feeling it today like need to need to scrap it like there's been multiple occasions both pro and college where i'll just show up and i'll be like no you know we're just gonna go run easy today and you just have to accept it because it's like you said it, the body has these these ebbs and flows of energies and feeling good and feeling bad that you know we can't predict. I think it was a uh, a uh, post on I think it was Martin's site. I'm on Hammer Media. He might have mentioned it. Um, I think it was a guest post where it was talking about periodization and how it was all kind of just based on you know what some guys thought of and made up you know in the 60s and 70s in russia and just came up with these rules and said ah oh, these are good rules and now they've become these laws that we all uh abide to and and just kind of you know fill oh, out yeah, fill yeah, out. yeah like block periodization undulating yeah. periodization yeah, yeah. <laughs> all and, these and if you don't have a periodization plan you are not a good you don't know what you're doing yeah exactly and it's these <laughs> these things that you know some there's no science to it, no understand not much understanding of the human body. I mean, in fact it's all based on a on an outdated, outmodeled uh concept of the stress response. So right. but but it's like because it's written on paper or written on a computer program, like that's what we do. Like there's been so many times where you have to tear that down and I think that's something that separates, as you said, you can call them keyboard coaches from uh 
from skin in the game coaches. Maybe we'll trade trademark that. Uh, <laughs> but it's it is it's it's the art of real coaching versus you know just kind of writing a plan. Right, and and I think but that's that's what makes this difficult. You know, I always tell the athlete like, look, your job is to get better. My job is to help you get better. You know, but it's a reciprocal relationship, and you know, it's not gonna you're, you're not gonna linear progress all the time, as much as you'd like to. Your portfolio is gonna be diverse in what we do, and some things may have a big impact on others. But some, you know, investments in your time and energy may not transfer, and may not translate as rapidly or as you know, um, uh, uh, really dramatically as we want them to. And, you know, this is kind of why my biggest gripe, like college coaches, if you're listening, like get your kids grittier, get them tougher. I mean, there's so many times, I mean, as a post-collegiate coach now and having been a college coach, so I get it. I get why you want them to feel good all the time. You want them to feel ready. You want them to feel like they're ready to pop it off. But then you get them to this post-collegiate level if they have those plans to compete at a high level. And they just wilt because – the stress loads and workloads are so much higher. And it's like, guys, look, you were one that's in the NSA system, but you know, so was everyone else who's comp- who you're competing against. And now you're competing against generations and generations of, oh, hey, this race has the last six NSA champions in your event in this race. And all right, time to go. You know, when, but if you're just used to spending all your time doing workouts that just leave you feeling great and feeling ready to roll, and all right, we're just going to rack them and run them every weekend which I understand you have to do, you really stunt the long-term development. And that, you know, increases anti-grit because then now I have to, as a you know post-collegiate coach, spend this time reinforcing like, hey, you're good, you're talented, I'm coaching you, that's why you're here, that's why you're still running. Well, But look, everyone has a learning curve. The transitions are tough. Well, it's, you know, it's about sticking yourself in situations where you're not sure you're going to run well. You know, and I think a lot of times in the college system, and I know, I mean, we've all been guilty of this, is like, you're like, oh, I got to have them fresh for this and fresh for this. And you just kind of, you just kind of go through the motions and, you know, make sure they feel good on workouts and race day. And, you know, they, and they won't run well unless they expect to feel good, you know. And I think that's one of the things we fight on the college side is, as I tell my kids all the time, it's like, I don't care how you feel. Like if you feel bad, you're still going to race hard and you still should have some level of excellence that you should hit. It might not be a PR, but it should still be something within that realm of possibility. And I think that's, that, that's like key. You know, for example, a couple weeks ago, Sarah Hall ran at, ran the 5k at the Oxy invite and it was less than, a, it was in the same month that she ran the London marathon in a PR, right? And she went into this, we, we discussed it beforehand and she was like, well, I think I want to run a 5k or I think I want to do something at Oxy. And it's, you know, within a month of the marathon. And she was like, let's just, let's just try it out and let's just go for it. Like, I don't expect to feel great. I haven't done anything fast at all or anything at all, really. Um, so let's just let's just try it out. And I think that like she's been around enough that she has that mentality. But I think, you know, if I suggested, you know, something not quite as crazy with with another one of my athletes, they would have been like, are you nuts? Like, I don't know if I'm going to run fast. Like, I don't feel fast. I haven't done enough speed work or I haven't done enough specific work or I haven't done enough 5K 
work. I don't know exactly what shape I'm in. So how can I race and how can I feel good on race day without knowing that stuff? And I think that engenders that the opposite of that quality of grid is just putting your head down. Doesn't matter how you feel. Just having the confidence that, hey, you're going to try and you you might fail sometimes, but more often than not, you're going to learn from it and bounce back and get tougher. The way I equate it is, you know, grit is you go and you go to the store and you're buying something on the credit card. You're just like, you need it, got to have it. It's really important. So I'm going to go buy it. You might not have the money in the bank yet. You know, and that's what training is for is to build up your reservoirs and build up your savings and your money in the bank. But if you only spent the money that you had in the bank all the time, it takes you forever to build up enough liquid, um, you know, liquidity to be able to buy the things you need to live life how you want in this modern day and age. And it's the same thing here. Like if you only race effectively when you feel great, when you feel amazing, when everything's perfect, when the plan's like X, Y, Z, and the strategy plays right out into your hands, those are far and few between in a career. And you're lucky if you get one, two, or three of those. You know, And that's, I think, the most – critical thing about grit is i've learned coaching a variety of talented level of athletes it's you know i get i just decided about the two flat 800 runner females i do the, the girl who breaks 230 for the 800 for the first time if they really really want it and that, that's the thing that is difficult that we can't necessarily train on the practice track all the time that you have to get in some time inside someone's head and have them rewire their thinking pattern or, you know, rewire their standards of excellence and rewire what they're trying to accomplish is you need to just compete fully and expose yourself and your entire nakedness to that competitiveness. Because if you walk, I always tell athletes, if you walk away with a PR, but you don't learn anything to me, that's a worse race than walking away failing miserably, but being able to learn a whole lot with no PR to show for it. And, that you just see it too. You see the people who have that competitive gusto, that passion, that, that perseverance, and that just I'm going to do this at this high standard. In a when the when the race doesn't matters, when the chips are on the line, when it's like, hey, championship race, it's not going to be easy to win this, but get after it and go make it happen. They do make it happen. <laughs> like every time I've watched it and I've coached them or I've coached against the athlete that's made it happen. Like. Man, it's just a great competitor. And I remember, you know, it kind of comes back to that high standard of excellence. There was a South African miler in the late 90s, early 2000s. I was training in the Portland, Oregon area when I was in high school. And he'd come to the practice track. Um, you know, we were doing a workout or something. I was like, oh, what do you got today? He's like, oh, well, um, you know, two sets of 10 by quarter at 60 seconds or faster with, you know, 60 seconds rest. And he did his first one and it was 61.1 or something. And he's like, that one does not count. That one does not count. And I even had it with, uh, you know, a young lady uh, who I coached, Kristen Finley. You know, we were doing a 1K breakdown session, 1K, 532, 1K, 532. And she ran her first 1K, you know, way slower than we wanted to. And, and she, we, without even telling her the story or anything, just said, that one doesn't count. That was too slow. Like, this doesn't count. I go, what should I do? I said, just, you know, take five minutes easy and we'll start the workout over again. We'll just call that your activation or part of your activation. But it's because she was inspired to, with this high standard of excellence, and was like, "Oh, is it going to blow? The, it wasn't. Oh, is it going to blow the workout? Am I, am I not going to have enough energy to finish?" It's like we won't know until we get there, hon. Huh? Like it didn't count. 
And I think that's the thing is everyone's fearing the end or fearing if they'll have enough at the end. But if you don't put yourself in a position to be there at the end, you can never figure out if you have it when it counts. And that to me is what grid is. It's bridging the gap, bridging that chasm between your certainty that you can get two thirds or three quarters through a race at a certain capacity or speed or distance or what have you. And then taking that leap of faith to get yourself to the last lap. Cause I mean, by the time you get the last lap, that's all adrenaline you can get going. It's only 60 to 70 seconds, but it's getting that last lap, which I would love to see more of. And I'd love to see more coaches and athletes develop that moving forward. Man, you just did a killer job summing that up. <laughs> <laughs> I can do two things. I can go on crazy tangents and I can sum up. That, that's podcast. brilliant. You know, uh, I won't add much to it except that when I thought of that, I thought of what I tell my athletes all the time. It's about staying engaged, right? And it's about being in the moment instead of looking at that last lap and saying, will I make it to the last lap? It's saying, screw it. I'm in this moment, in this moment, what do I need to do to put myself in position to succeed? You can always put yourself in position to succeed. You can't fake your way through it on the last lap and make up to succeed. You you need, if you're there at three quarters, if it's a good day, you're going to gut it out. If it's a bad day, you might fall apart a little bit, but at least you're in position to succeed. So I think it's about staying in the moment, pressing forward and just going for it so exactly take a risk put yourself in a position to take a risk and learn i tell my athletes a lot like if you do not do that then the whole activity is futile because ultimately that's what athletics and sport and racing is about is you know teaching you these lessons so that when you get into life and you become you know an adult with family children mortgage roof over the head all these pressures that you're okay with risking and you're okay with feeling you know and you can learn from it instead of shying it away you know i wish i'd see more failure selfies or failure pictures on you know social media for athletes like man i went for it and i bombed but i learned a hell of a lot i'll be better next time you know i'll be better for it Maybe we'll start that trend. We'll, we'll yeah, have a, maybe we should. Like, that's only you and I only text pictures now of people who bomb. Hey, this person bombed, but they went for it and bombed. There we go. <laughs> hashtag bomb. We'll just yeah. uh, we'll just start that learning trend. bomb. Hashtag Le- learning bomb. I like it. No, that's it's so true. So I'll uh, I'll end with this and tie it up with um and uh, tying it back to um, Angela Duckworth's grit is. When they looked at, when they, I think it was one research study she did, they were looking at all sorts of test scores from ACTs to SATs, GREs, and adding in uh, their grades and grade points and all that stuff to see what made them successful after college at high-level elite universities. And one of the biggest factors they found was they took extracurricular activities in high school, tracked who had stayed in them the longest, and who had overcome something to reach some high level in them. And that was one of the biggest predictors. And I think that ties it back research-wise to what you just said, is that it's not just about running, right? It's not just about like being tough and gritty in the moment in the race, 
but you're trying to develop patterns throughout your whole life that that's how you, that's what you take to your job. That's what you take to your parenting, to your life, to all that stuff. It's taking that same attitude and spreading it across. And when you do that, you're going to do good things no matter where you are. Amen. You know, in order to win Olympic gold, you got to lose a lot of races to get there. Awesome. Well, we'll leave you guys with that. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Sorry for, uh, being away for a while but uh hopefully we'll get back no here. no apologies it's championship season where you're out there teaching the children what they need and that's, so am i that's so right. <laughs> no apologies at all we're out there with skin the game guys that's right <laughs> not not just typing on a keyboard we're uh we're yes. traveling around no keyboard coaching right here <laughs> we're out there failing getting athletes hurt getting athletes better just like you so yeah <laughs> we're yep. failing too and learning every step of the way lots of failure all right Till next time.